Well, we're going to continue to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in uh, chapter 20. Time willing, we're going to roll through this one today. A fair majority of today's reading concerns the various places that Paul journeyed to before he set sail to Jerusalem, which would end up being a place of trial for him. There are more than 10 places listed as to where he went and where he stopped. This cataloging of places is done so that those who read this account might know the fullness of Paul's work and by reading the locations might know the truth of where the gospel was preached. In this text, in verse 4, it says, We also meet some new disciples of Christ who agreed to travel with Paul, and this will allow us to look at the diversity of the church. We'll also encounter the story of a man who fell asleep in church and then fell out of a window. Thank goodness we don't have a multi-storied church. And if time allows, we'll listen as Paul says goodbye to many of the churches he has planted. The first verse we read today starts out with a statement that says, after the uproar. And what that is, is that leads us into from last week where there was an uproar because there was a riot, because Paul's preaching about Jesus Christ was hitting people right in the pocketbook. And uh, so he had to take some time to head on out of town. So verse four, verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and given much of them encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. So Patras the Berean, son of Piraeus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristocrus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychus and Trophimus, these went on ahead of him and were waiting for us at Torres. Yes, I almost had him do all that right out of the video, the audio Bible. That was some tough stuff there. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Torres, where we stayed for seven days. I want to pause there a minute because Paul takes pains to call out for us, not just the people involved here, which we heard all their names, but more importantly, what their nationalities were. Of the folks who were traveling with them, there was a Berean, two Thessalonians, someone from Derby, and two Asians. This in itself was highly unusual because we know that people of different cultures and, you know, they have different foods, they have different languages, they have different uh, traditions that they do. And of course, before Jesus, they worship different gods. If you remember that when Paul came to Ephesus, Paul came across 12 disciples, laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit fell on him, and they began speaking in other tongues. I can't help but think that, like on the day of Pentecost, many people heard the gospel preached in their own language. Now Paul is traveling. He is traveling with this multicultural group, and all of them claiming Christ as Lord to other fellow countrymen that they meet along the way. This would have given him inroads into places and people that might not have been possible otherwise. We just had some of our ladies here in the church share sandwiches and conversations with the carnival workers at the Osceola County Fair. It was a small example of being in the right place to meet with people from various cultures or regions that you might not otherwise meet. And we should never underestimate the power of that meeting. In 1994, someone from Campus Crusade for Christ 
had the opportunity to show the Jesus movie in the country of Albania, actually in the capital city. An estimated 2,000 people turned out for this showing in mid-December, including the country's top government officials. More than 700 people indicated decisions for Christ. Once was a temple of communism was being used as a temple of our holy God, explained the head of the Albanian film industry. So that was a start, but the story didn't end there. Fifteen years later, in 2012, the Icrium, yeah, Icrillium movement began. It's a Christian church planning organization born by a group of Albanian believers who came from Muslim backgrounds and who had a desire to see churches being planted and established in Albania and beyond. They now have a presence in Albania, the United States, Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Kosovo, and Mongolia, all because one person was faithful to listen to the Lord and say, just go show this movie, and I'll do the rest of the work. Amen? So we should never take for granted who, where, or when we might share the gospel with because we have no idea the long-range plans God has for that intervention. Paul had for himself this multilingual, multicultural band of evangelists trampling with him, building up as well as planting churches. It's a picture of how Jesus sees the church, not through our differences, but through our similarities. That is, as children of his. Galatians were told there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians, it says, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. Romans 15, 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen? We are one. Unfortunately, that's not always the way it is, is it? It hasn't been even for the church today. Martin Luther King described 11 o'clock on Sunday morning as one of the most segregated hours in Christian America. And if you think about it, it is the truth. I watched a piece on TV this last week about black churches in Florida where they went through the state of learning the history of these churches. Most all of them were built out of segregation as their roots were found in slavery here in South Florida as black Jamaican and Caribbean slaves they wanted to attend church, they had to attend the church at the plantation owner. The problem being, those of color were only allowed in the upper balconies, okay? Then as slavery ended, those congregations split apart, started their own churches, so they might be able to worship more freely, not as a second-class citizen. The segregated worship has gone on ever since. Here, right where we sit now, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, here at the mill, there were multiple churches, but on one side of the track were black churches, on the other side of the track were white churches. As I was raised in the military, there was no black or white churches. You either went to a Protestant service or you went to a Catholic service. It was the only discrimination at the time. And it's hard to get a church to integrate, whether by denomination or ethnicity, because most people have no history of integration. I would think mostly because of generational biases that we have been in the area for so long. Things that your moms tell you, your dads tell you, your grandparents tell you, whatever. There's these built-in biases. i never forget when my wife moved here in 1979 from Kansas City, how su surprised she was the difference in the level of racism here in Florida 
compared to the Midwest. Her mom worked at an almost completely black school there in Kansas City, and it was just, it was just, it was an integrated city. There, there wasn't places where, you know, blacks were allowed and whites weren't, and whites weren't allowed and blacks were, unlike it still was here, even like in 1980. They might not have had the sign on there, but you knew. She wasn't wrong. I've buried some men here who've been truly repentant over the way they treated other men who were not of the same color. I've lost parishioners in this church because of off-color jokes that were told here on the church grounds, and when I called them out on it, some of them choose not to come back. Bad humor is often an easy door for the devil to come through. My dad was estranged from our family for three years because when he would come back from hunting camps in South Carolina, he would choose to share with my eight-year-old son certain off-topic things that I didn't want him to share. And I said, Dad, you just can't bring that into our family. We're, we're just not going to raise kids that way. And uh, for, so for three years, uh, he walked away. The best we can do is recognize it, stop it, ask for forgiveness, and then move on. Because our enemy will use racism to destroy what God wants to build. But it's not just Satan at work. It's human nature as well. Anyone who's gone to a predominantly black church service will recognize the difference between it and a white service. Because we worship differently, culturally. But as individuals, we hate to change. And we jealously hold on to our traditions. It's hard to change. Today I, I was talk, talking to Valerie and uh, I got an email from uh, one of the Lutheran brothers who's in the St. Cloud Ministers Association and uh, his pianist is having a really rough uh, pregnancy. She can't probably be there for three months and he was looking for people to come in and help supplement uh, in her stead. And I asked Val, I said, would you be interested in going over for a couple weeks you know, and playing the piano for him. And she said, well, that'll work out good. A Pentecostal pianist in a Lutheran church. It's true. You know, we think that way, though, don't we? You know, back when I was in the old building, some of the people used to know I used to preach, I told them, I said, my problem is I'm actually a black Pentecostal man trapped in the body of a white Baptist. <laughs> you know, when that dog wants to hunt, it wants to come out and hunt, and it lets go. But sometimes you just get caught up and the way things are. We jealously hold on to our tradition. One of the best accounts I've ever read of a missionary. Anybody ever spent time in Keenansville at the Missionary Baptist Church down there? Or any Missionary Baptist Church? Okay. But you know they're pretty strict about their traditions, right? So I want you to think about this a minute. So this missionary, this is a true story. He goes over somewhere in Central Africa. He begins to evangelize this uh, tribe of people. Okay, and uh, they watch his life, see how he lives, and they buy in. They're all for Jesus, okay? They would buy in, but he just can't get them to come and sit in a traditional service until he was willing to do something. You see, for them, how they worshiped God was with joy, dance, and music. You see, they, they didn't worship just with their head. It was a whole body experience. So what he did, he says, well, let's do this. What we'll do is when we collect the offering, 
and they would have big baskets at the front. They said, we will play the music, your traditional music, and the congregation would then get up and dance all the way up and, and give their offerings uh, up at the altar and then go back to church or go back to where they were seating and would hear the message. But you see, they were able to incorporate that. They were, they were able to say, hey, you know, there's more than one way to do this. As a matter of fact, he goes on to write, after spending so many years there and coming back to his missionary Baptist brethren, he's like, I couldn't find that same joy of worshiping in the church. So we can't be afraid to worship in different ways. That's like, you know, uh, Pastor Ryan, he's been bringing in some liturgical stuff to us. Uh, I love that stuff, man. You know, when the, when, they, when the Protestants broke away from the Catholics, a lot of times they, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some great stuff in liturgy. There's some great ways to, to worship and evangelize. And prayer is a wonderful way, too, and you can do that in all kinds of ways. But we jealously hold on to those traditions. <clears throat> we need to be open and different, open to the difference in nationalities that move into our community and not be afraid to embrace some cultural changes in our worship. The next account of churches like some churches you've been to, verse 7 on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room that were gathered, and a young man named Aristarchus sitting in the window, third story, and was taken up dead. Paul went down, bent over him, taking him in his arms, said, Do not be afraid, for there's life in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him for a long time until daybreak, and then they departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Amen. You've often heard me make the joke. I said that when you go to, uh, you know, sermon classes, one of the classes that you have to pass is to be able to put a baby to sleep during your sermon. You know, well, I've put more than a few to sleep during my sermons in my days. I can tell you that. But here's Paul. You want to talk about a long-winded pastor? But how many people know we have a clock in the church? We do. There's right back there on that wall. You can thank Pastor Neil for that clock. <laughs> Pastor Neil was like the guy who, there was a missionary tent revival, right? And uh, the pastor was there, and only one person showed up. And uh, I'll, I'll make it Pastor Neil. So Pastor Neil says, well, I'm going to give him the whole message. Just because this one doesn't mean I should cut it short. And you can tell him I said this. He's coming next week. So he preaches and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. A few hours later, he's done. And he walks back there to the one gentleman, the old boy, picks up his cowboy hat and puts it on. Pastor Neil says, what would you think? He says, well, preacher, he says, you know, when I go to feed my cattle, there's only one cow. I don't give them the whole feed bottle. <laughs> so that's what happens sometimes. We, even as pastors, we, we get so caught up in what we're doing. We want to share so much that, that we forget that we have to value your time as well. And the brain will only accept as much as the butt will tolerate. And that's a true statement. So you have to do that. So that's why we have a clock in the back. So whether it's me or whoever else gets up here knows that we have to respect the, 
the time of those teachers who are trapped in those classes with your loving children. Yes. Mm. Yeah, the last time uh, we put someone to sleep was when we were preaching about uh, fundraisers. We are trying to get a fundraiser for this new building. And uh, I was over there going Baptocostal on them. And I was talking, and I said, I'd made a statement, and Don, the guy who sat behind there looking at our monitors to keep us safe right now, he fell dead asleep. We see, Don was raised as a Marine. And all he heard was, please stand up. And he jumped to his feet, and everyone started applauding. His wife looked at him like he was nuts. And I said, that's the first one who's agreed to give $10,000. Is there another? <laughs> so be careful when you fall asleep in church. Paul preached so long, this guy fell asleep, and when he was sitting in this window, and he fell out. But I like the way he did it. I like the way Paul brought him back. You see, he brought him back in a way to protect the young man. Because you remember what happened to Lazarus when Lazarus was raised from the dead? The Jews and everybody wanted to kill him. You know, so he went down, and, and the way it stated, and the way you read it, it's like, oh, no, you just kind of got the breath knocked out of him, you know, but then he came back. So he did this to protect him because he knew he wasn't going to be there to provide protection later. Verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. He arranged, intending himself to go by land. But when we met up, took him on board and went to Mylena. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. The day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. I just wanted to point out here again, we see multiple places and people that Paul, that Paul ministered to. When we look at a map of his journey, we can see how far he was willing to travel to spread the gospel and how much he was willing to do. Most biblical scholars agree that Paul would have traveled over 10,000 miles by foot. That's like going from here, New York, to Los Angeles near four times. But for most of us, we're hesitant to go anywhere to evangelize or to even evangelize. Amen? I mean, right? What's the number one fear of everyone in the world? Public speaking. And, and, that, and that doesn't mean just being up here. That means just being next to somebody else and publicly speaking about something that might make a difference. We're hesitant to even get equipped sometime to evangelize. Hmm. And when often we get caught up in what Sam Shoemaker, an Episcopalian bishop, says is the fishbowl. In the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. But we've turned the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally, I take some fish out of my fishbowl and put them into your fishbowl. <laughs> but we're all tending to the same fish, amen? We've got to go out there and catch those fish who have yet to be caught. One of the things we need to remember is our job isn't to clean them. Anybody ever clean a fish before they caught it? That's where you got to be careful. You think, well, I've got to go clean this fish and then catch it. No, you don't do that. You catch the fish. You let God do the cleaning. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not ours. This year, we put a pinky into the evangelistic waters there at the Osceola County Fair. You know, we used to have a booth there every year. We loved it. Had this little thing, and, and we used to be on Fridays where the 
kids came for free, and we had word of the day. And the word of the day were all these little slips with proverbs and psalms and everything on it. And I would, I was like a carny, man, I loved it. Come get your word of the day, come get And as soon as you got one, they'd go back and get 17 other friends. And they'd reach in there and they'd pull it out and they'd say, Proverbs 17, 4, and I'd look that up and I'd say, this is what the Lord says to you today. And they would think that was the coolest thing since sliced bread. And does the word of God ever go away void? No. Those are the kind of things we need to be willing to do. We have a church member here, Susan, who attends the Seed of Hope meetings, which keeps the churches informed of needs with the greater St. Cloud community. We're going to be using Abigail Horner has uh, asked if she can get more involved with connecting the community to serve as the hands and feet of God all around the community. If you'd like to help with local sports, Pastor Ryan is just getting together with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, if you're interested in helping local women, Patty uh, runs the Wind Ministry. Uh, we now have a Boys and Girls Club in St. Cloud as well. There's a great opportunity to minister there. The Salvation Army is always sending us Request that they need some help as well. Just because you happen to attend this body of believers doesn't mean you have to be with this body of believers to do, do the work of God. Amen? Yeah. Mm. You know, and I would hope as we grow, we find our niche in where and how God wants us to evangelize as a body. You know, for years now, we've been wanting to plant a church in Kenansville. We ran a Bible study down there for quite a while. And I want you to think about it, and I want you to put the word out. If you would like to have a Bible study in Kenansville, because that's where you're from, down there somewhere, or no others that would, or even be part of a church plant down there, let us know. I'm tired of waiting around. We need another church in Kenansville, amen? We need one down there that preaches the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 17, Paul begins his farewell. Within it is quite a testimony, and when I read it, I couldn't help but ask myself, would my testimony be able to live up to this one? From Miletus, he set sail to Ephesus, called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold... I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Boy, that is not a message you particularly want to get from the Lord. Amen? Mm -hmm. Paul says, I'm going. One of the things I think we get wrong in our society is what we call the celebration of life. Why well, I say it's wrong because it happens after someone has already died. You know, there's lots of cultures, they do that before they die. In the Bible, they do that before they die. It's when they give their blessings to their children. It's a time of testimony. It's a time of sharing the most important things in your life. This encounter is sort of like where Paul is making final comments on his life and how he believes it was lived in such a way that he hopes his spiritual children could look at it and follow his life. Now, I want you to think about that a minute. What if they chose? What if your kids chose? Not saying you're close, but let's just say. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. They said, we want to have a celebration of life for you, Dad. 
We want to make sure we have it before you go so you know how much you meant to us, so you know how much we loved you, so you can pass on to us those things that you've been hesitant to say, okay, but you know you need to. Guys, I'm not going to ask the women, but I'm going to ask the guys. Guys, how many of you would love to have the opportunity? Pass that on to your children. Last words. Yeah. I know if I ask the women, they'll all raise their hands. They're not hesitant to do it. They'll pass it on now, today, every day. But guys are hesitant to do that. So you kind of think about this. This is what Paul is doing. This is the last time he's going to see them. This is what he says. I did not shrink from declaring to you and teaching you anything that was profitable in Christ Jesus. Is this something we would be comfortable saying to our last goodbyes? Therefore, I testify you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Exactly. I don't know how many of you have ever been part of deathbed confessions or statements. You had relatives, friends, you said, Granny's going, you want to go see her, she's still, you know, she's still with us. And Granny would say something to you. How important was it what she said at that time? It was important, wasn't it? How carefully or fearfully we shy from sharing the whole counsel of God. Paul says, look, kids, I coveted no one's silver or gold. I worked for my bread and even worked enough so that I could provide for others. That's so important. You know, I'm on Pastor Ryan all the time. I love the fact that we're able to pay him a salary that he's barely livable. But what I'm concerned of is some of the things Paul talks about later when I'm gone, that the sheeps and the wolves will come in. Pastor Ryan's young enough where he needs to be able to have a salary outside the church because there will be times, not just him, that the church will no longer pay for pastors. And he needs to be willing to give as well as receive. It's important. We're going to need more bivocational pastors, not less, in the coming days. If you don't believe me, just go look at the statistics. It's horrendous. It says, I worked for my bread, even worked enough so I could provide for others. And all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than receive. Advice we need to share, not just in this world, but indeed with our children. And he provides a warning. Pay careful attention. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the family. And from among you, your own self, from among your own cells, from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the family away. You've been in the ministry over 20 years. You know that is true. Be sure to commend yourself and all your family to the Holy Spirit, which has been bought with blood. And know this. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only that I might finish the race and that my ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What will be the most important statements you can make to those you leave behind? Think about it now. Write them down. And now I commend you, he says, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. 
And they embraced Paul, and they kissed him. My encouragement to you today is don't wait till dad dies. Don't wait till mom passes. Don't wait till grandma is on her bed and she's just got a few more breaths left. Go talk to them now. Get together. Get the family. And then listen to what they have to say and listen to each other and commend them to the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have shown us the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. We thank you for Paul and his ministry. We thank you how he was willing to reach out to every race, every creed, every color, Lord God, so that they too might hear the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that we are that bold, Lord, that we are willing to step out in faith and share the love and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer today. Amen.